Let's go to Exodus. As we get into the Word. I want to read two very contrasting encounters um, happening just one chapter after the other. So in Exodus, we're going to read Exodus chapter 32, verse 1 to 8, and then we're going to read Exodus chapter 33, verse 7 to 11. So Exodus 32 says this, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought him to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf, and they have worshipped it, and sacrificed to it, and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So that's one story. One chapter later, we read another story. Exodus 33, verse 7 to 11. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent." So like I said, very contrasting stories. The, here we find Israel, and this is just one example. This is like all throughout Exodus. This is all throughout Numbers. Moses is, is busy up on the mountain encountering the face of God, getting the Ten Commandments. He's been up there in the glory cloud for 40 days. But here we find the Israelites at the bottom of the mountain making a golden calf, worshiping it. Then we go into the next chapter and we see Moses continues in his relationship with God. We, he's able to speak to God face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And the thing is this, is that Moses is busy having revival. Moses is having an awakening to relationship with the Father. And if you read on in Exodus, it just gets, like the trajectory, right, it just goes up 
and up and up. But at the same time, the very people who are with him are going in the opposite direction. Their trajectory is going down and down and down. Instead of experiencing revival, they're actually backsliding. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10 puts language to this, and we're going to use it as a bouncing board. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 to 5. says this, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all to, referencing the, the 40 years in the wilderness, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Verse 5, Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were, not, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. This is the crazy part. Moses and, and a select few, Joshua, Caleb, namely, and the Israelites saw the exact same things. They all saw the Red Sea part. They all walked through on dry ground. They all looked back and saw the Egyptians. They were all saw the plagues in Egypt, right? The, 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 where the sun would shine on their own homes, but it would be dark all around them. They all saw the power and the glory of God. What it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, they all saw the manna come down from the ground. Or from the ground. They all saw the manna come down from heaven. And they all ate of it. They all saw the water come out of the rock. But yet their trajectories are going in opposite directions. And there's a warning for us in this. And we see it in verse 6 here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says, now these things took place as examples for us. That we might not desire evil as they did. Now these things took place as examples for us. And there's a danger that we all are sitting together, but some of us are going like this, and some of us are going like this. We all sing the same worship songs. We all gather around the same presence, under the same anointing. We all hear the same word, the same testimony, the same encouragement, the same fellowship. But yet some of us here tonight, like the Israelites, are going backwards, whereas some of us are experiencing revival. And so what I want to do tonight is, is point out what was going on in the hearts of the Israelites. What was it? Because that invitation to awakening was available for all of them. It wasn't just for Moses. The invitation to awakening to more of God is available to all of us here. But yet some of us aren't taking it. What can we identify in the heart of Israel and see in ourselves and let truth be a mirror to us, to let us deal with those things so that all of us would be on the trajectory up to awakening, to the more of God. 
So there's two, two scriptures that are very similar. The first one's in Exodus chapter 16, and the next one in, in, in Numbers chapter 14. And it gives us such a good indication of what was going on in the hearts of Israel. Why they acted like they acted. Like I said, those, those scriptures I read, that's just one example. But it's like all throughout, when I mean, you read Exodus, you read Numbers, like they're just continually grumbling, continually complaining, continually speaking against leadership, continually speaking against God, just anti, just moving more and more and more away from the Father till eventually their bodies just died in the wilderness and they could never enter the promised land. So in Exodus chapter 16, they're busy doing this, they're busy complaining about the manna. Shucks. And it says this in verse 1 to 3, it says, They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then in Numbers chapter 14, verse 1 to 4, then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we have died in the land of Egypt, or would that we have died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. God took them out of Egypt, but Egypt never left their heart. Egypt was always in them. They never dealt with Egypt. They longed for the desires, the the great things that Egypt could offer them. But meanwhile, God had liberated them from that place. So God took them out of Egypt, but Egypt never left them. And so similar to them, to us tonight, God has called us out of the world. It's very, very clear from Scripture. John chapter 17. He calls us out from the world. But for some of us sitting here tonight, we still have the world in our hearts. God's called us out, but we've asked the world to stay. See, when God calls us to himself... When he calls us out of the world, there's a decision that has to be taken on our behalf. And that decision is, how, how deep will I jump in this river? God calls me out. Will I give myself fully to what he's asking me to? Will I give myself fully to him, fully to the gospel, 
or will I keep one world, one foot in the world, and one foot in the kingdom, and pursue him that way? And that's a choice that he doesn't put on us. It's a choice that every single one of us make. When you gave your life to Jesus, when you made the decision to be born again, you decided then and there, how much of me will I give him? And the danger is, if we don't give him all of us, what is left remains inside of us. And that's where we see this start to happen. Because the world will always be antagonistic against the will of the Father. The Father will be leading you that way, but the world will be pulling you this way. And so there's a decision that we need to make that we have to give everything for Him. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. It's, it's impossible to live a victorious Christian life when I'm double-minded, when I'm double, I've got this double personality. I'm in the world and I come to church on a Sunday, but then I'm in the world and I do this church thing and I'm in the world and I do this church thing. It's just not going to work. And you can sit here and the person sitting next to you is having these encounters with God and they're being awakened to these amazing truths of who He is. And you look at them and say, why not me? It's because you haven't dealt with Egypt in your heart. I want to look at two examples from Scripture. The first one is in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 22. This is Jesus saying, come, follow me. So it says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and, his, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And it says, this, immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending the nets. And he called them. And again, immediately they left the boat and they left their father and followed him. Jesus says, follow me. They gave everything. We read the scripture this morning where Jesus has the encounter with the rich young ruler. And Peter, he, uh, Peter, he asks this question. He says, Father, Jesus, we've given you everything to follow you. They gave up their livelihood. They gave up their income. Some of them gave up their families to follow him. They gave it all. And in contrast to that, we see in Luke chapter 9, in verse 57 to 62. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But look at the difference here. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. 
Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. I hear the the gospel message. I make a choice to give my life to Jesus. I say, yes, Lord, I choose to follow you. But I do have a girlfriend who's not saved. But it's fine, Lord, because, you know, I'll witness to her and I'll get her saved. Or I say, yes, Lord, I'll follow you, but I'm just going to keep going to the club. Don't worry, Lord, I'm not going to drink. I won't take drugs anymore, I promise. I'm just going to enjoy the music. And Lord, when I go there, I'll I'll witness to people. I'll go on your mission. Half in, half out. If you're half in, half out, you're going nowhere. He wants us fully in. In the kingdom, we would call these idols. There's a very hectic scripture that I want to read to you. I want to read it in the Passion Translation. And it's in Acts chapter 7. I'm going to read from verse 40 to 43. So referencing what we just read now um, in Exodus about the golden calf. It says, while Moses was on the mountain, our forefathers said to Aaron, make us gods to lead us because we don't know what has become of this Moses who brought us up out of Egypt. So they made a god, an idol, in the form of a bull calf. They offered sacrifices to it and celebrated with delight what their own hands had made. When God saw what they had done, he turned away from them and handed them over to the worship of the stars of heaven, as recorded in the prophetic writings. Now listen to this. People of Israel, you failed to worship me when you offered animal sacrifices for 40 40 years in the wilderness. Instead, you worshipped the god Moloch, and you carried his tabernacle, not mine. Israel had the privilege of being set apart from every other nation that they would carry the presence of God with them. They would carry what we call the Ark of the Covenant, also called the Ark of His Presence. And wherever they go, whenever they would set out from camp, the priests would put the Ark on top of their hands, on their shoulders, and they would go out and they would host the presence of God. They would carry the tabernacle of God on their shoulders, a divine privilege. But God says to them, yeah, it wasn't me you were carrying. You carried your idols when you were in the wilderness. You put on a show and you just did the religious thing. But inside of your tents, inside of your bag, there were idols of Molech. What do you say? The idols of your star god, Refan. God saw through the facade. He saw past the religious, I'm blessed, brother, how are you? 
The Lord is greatly to be praised. It's the chorus. Raise your hands. And even more so for us, we have a greater privilege than them. We don't have to carry him in a box anymore, but he lives inside of us. He tabernacles amongst us. We have become the tabernacle of God. His presence now lives in us. And the craziest thing is that we can choose to carry something else. This is God Almighty. If we just have a value of of who He is inside of us. But yes, we choose not even to look at that. And we choose to take up our idols. And we carry them in our hearts. And we give no place to the Spirit of Christ inside of us. I want to read a scripture from Exodus chapter 34. Verse 14, it says this, For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. He doesn't want to share your affection with another. Imagine, I told Maggie, oh, Maggie, I'm just going to coffee with Susan. Um, Don't worry, we're just going to hold hands. We won't take it any further. No one here would be comfortable being in a relationship like that. Why do we think he's okay with it? We flirt with the world. We hold hands with the world. Don't worry, we're not going to second base. We're just holding hands. It's okay. I'm not actually sinning. It's just one sip. It's just one drag. It's just one night. But it's not okay. There's even stronger language in the New Testament. James chapter 4, verse 4 to 5. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says what we just read, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so this is the Father's heart. Is that the world will be a snare to us. Your idols will snare you. In other words, 
they will trap you. They will trip you up. You might say, Lord, I, it's okay. I can do this. You know, I can bring her along. I can bring him along. It's fine. And it's fine for the first couple of months. But then it begins to trip you up. He's like, what happened to so-and-so? They were so on fire for God. They couldn't let go of the world. And the world got them. And that's a guarantee that that'll happen. Absolute guarantee. Jesus said this, you know, serving, you cannot serve both God and mammon. Referencing money, but it's the same principle applies here. Is you cannot serve both God and your idol in the world. It says you either serve the one and hate the other. It's impossible to do both. And from what I've seen in my walk with the Lord is that unfortunately those who try tend to serve the world or they end up serving the world rather than tend to end up serving the Father. There can be no place for compromise. I'm not beating anyone up. I'm not putting a heavy on you. But truth comes to bring freedom. John chapter 17. Verse 16 to 17 says this, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. This is Jesus talking about you and I. Sanctify them in the truth. Your, world, your word is truth. So when salvation comes, separation must follow. That's just the order of things. God doesn't leave you where you were. He calls you out from where you were. He calls you out from who you were to bring sanctification, to bring separation, to change the way we view life, to change our language, to change our desires, to change our hearts. He calls us out and he begins the process of separation. And so we must allow God to bring about the process of sanctification in our lives. And that's what he's doing tonight. I don't know when, if you guys did this at school. It's more like a young kiddie thing. It's called a two-legged race. Everyone knows that thing? So like you get like someone to stand next to you and then they tie your legs together, right? And then you've got to run. You've got to like work out a sequence like, you know, to get to the end. And everyone ends up falling. Everyone ends up tripping. This Christian walk, this Christian race, can't be a two-legged race. You cannot, you, you cannot run the race that God has set before us with your leg tied to the world you will fall. You will trip. And the only question is, at what cost? What was the cost for Israel? They never entered the promised land. It's not a game. There's a cost attached 
to playing with the world. If you choose, you can walk out and say, oh, I don't care. It's fine. These guys can believe what they want. I've got this. We worked out our sequence. Me and, me and my idol. Left, right. Okay, you go left. You go right. You go right. You're going to fall. But at what cost? So before you fall, take off the rope and say goodbye. That's what the Father is asking. He says, follow me. I've called you out from the world. John chapter 17, to myself. He wants all of you, not some of you. He wants your breath. He wants your thoughts. He wants your heart. He wants the meditation of your mind. He wants what you see. He wants what you hear. He wants the places where you go. He wants all of you. And that's what it means to follow Christ. That's what it means to say yes to the gospel. That's what it means to be born again. Last scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, If any man is in Christ Jesus, and it counts for women as well, he, is, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone and behold, all things have become new. I'm going to ask Caleb to come up while he takes his headphones out. I'm not going to call anyone up. That's not what I'm doing. But I don't know where your heart is this evening. I don't know if you're carrying the world in your heart. I don't know which trajectory you're on. Are you with the Moses crowd? Or are you with the Israelite crowd? But God's calling you to the Moses crowd. And so we read there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, all old things pass away. And here is an opportunity. Truth has been presented and now the choice is yours. If you've been walking with the world, here is an opportunity to let go. And it's not come confess your sins to the pastor, no. This is between you and God right now. But know this, that a decision will have to follow what you ask the Father tonight. What you tell the Father tonight, you will have to go and do it. Whether that's the cutting off of a relationship, whether that's the cutting off of a friendship, whether it's the cutting off of a habit, the decision is with you. But here's the wonderful thing, is that when you open to the Father and you ask Him to help you, grace comes. And there's a grace in this moment now. There's a grace from the Father. Now, it might not be a big thing. 
Maybe it's something you, you know you're not supposed to watch, but you watch it. Music you know you're not supposed to listen to, but you listen to it. Whatever it is, there's a grace from the Father available in this moment. It's a, a divine empowerment to do that which He asks you to do and to be the new creation that He asks you to be. And so every eye closed. I'm not going to ask anyone to raise your hand. But this is, a, this is an altar. This moment is an altar. And we put dead things on the altar. We put things on the altar to die. And it says that when we put things on the altar, that the fire of God comes and it consumes those things and they are no more. And so any attachment, any idol that you have that's hindering you, you know you, you're on the wrong trajectory. You're saying the right things. You, at every meeting, you're doing the right things. You've got the, 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 you're in the right crowd. But in your heart, you know that you're going the wrong way because there's something that's got your foot. There's something that you've tied to your leg. God says, now is the time to let it go and to walk out this, this gospel in fullness. Hebrews writes, says, we lay aside every weight. We lay aside every sin which so easily ensnares us. And we look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And we run this race that He has set before us. So between you and God right now, it's going to give us a couple of minutes. Just be vulnerable with Him. Just be honest with Him because He already knows. He knew so funny he knew that the idols were in their tents they were putting on a show carrying the ark but he knew what was in their luggage and so he knows just let him take it out and let him get rid of it Thank you that you 
says, your mercies are new every morning. And that in this moment, your mercy is new. You say in your word, you don't count our sins against us. Thank you that your word says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And so, Father, I declare fullness of freedom. Father, even those who have struggled with addiction, who are stuck in habits, Lord God. Father, I command freedom now. Every chain broken in Jesus' name. No more attachments. Bless you. We thank you. We give you glory in Jesus.